The Church Dads. Join Mark Hawes and Curtis Ketty as they discuss faith, family, liturgy, current events, and fatherhood. Be a part of the discussion by emailing churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Now, here are the dads. Hello, and welcome back to Church Dads. My name is Mark Hawes, and this is Curtis Getty on the other line. Hello. We are two dads who happen to be active within the Catholic Church. Uh, I am a music and youth ministry director in Charleston, West Virginia. Curtis, you are joining us from snowy, snowy Olathe, Kansas. Olathe, Kansas. Yeah, I work at St. John Paul II Parish as the director of parish faith formation. Yes. Which is basically just religious education and sacrament preparation, but Mm -hmm. we have those fancy titles. Yes, and what what makes us somewhat unique is we have, uh, or the show unique, is it's for Catholic mommies and daddies and anyone really, but we have young children, so Mm. quite young. So Mm. mine are five, three, and one, and Curtis basically the same, right? Five and a half, three and a half, and one and a half. Oh, you're that kind of I win, I win. Yeah. Oh, so your oldest is like 247 months. Oh, he's so sweet. 247 months. That's that's a pretty old kid. I don't know if it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I think you got it easier than me cuz your hair looks awesome. I wish I had that hair. Oh, like, thank look you. Like look at my forehead shine. I mean, yeah, that's good. But then you can read anywhere cuz you always have that like glow <laughs> coming off of your Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have a funny story for you, and it centers around your goddaughter, so I thought you would think it's funny. Nice. Uh, our middle child. Ruthie, she was um, she was looking at a crucifix the other day, and she said, Daddy, it's Jesus. I said, yeah, honey, it is Jesus. She goes, he's handsome. <laughs> uh, uh, you should see me on a good day, is what Jesus said. I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should see the other guy <clears throat> yeah anyway i thought you'd think it was funny that is funny that's a, that's chuckle worthy that's chuckle worthy it's yeah. also you know slightly disturbing from a theological standpoint but that's okay well you know it's your goddaughter i don't know we should yeah, work I mean, you should work on that curtis I you should work on that her. i need uh-huh. to talk to her you know uh a big day for us in our house i know that this we record this in advance but in this case we're recording this the day before we put it on the air, so it'll still be pretty close. But uh-huh. March 3rd, that's today, where we're recording, will go down in infamy. This is the day that I showed my child, my oldest, William, The Empire Strikes Back for the first time. Now, let me just preface this with, you know, it's been now over two years of me telling the story of Star Wars to my son, William, like just telling it to him in my own words and um, always saving any spoilers, but giving him sort of the basic gist of the story. And so he's aware of the characters like I've been prepping him for this, but he would refuse to watch Star Wars because we tried watching it like when he was three and a half or something. And he saw the moment he saw Darth Vader, he lost it. And ever since then, all I have to do is go like just start the breath. (laughs) <laughs> and he just starts screaming. He's like, no, 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 put his hands over his ears and like uh-huh. run out of the room. So Darth Vader is one of his biggest fears. Well, we went to the library on Friday, some a family tradition. Well, you know, we'll go to the library and get some books to bring home. And I found this book called Are You Afraid, Darth Vader? And it's a book like that's sort of making fun of Darth Vader, all these little kids trying to find something that Darth oh, Vader's afraid yes, of. Oh, yes, I've seen that. It's oh, great. it's such a funny book. It's so great, and you read it in Darth Vader's voice. He's like, no, I'm not afraid. <laughs> or it's, you know, it's like a witch pops out. It's like, are you afraid of this witch? He's like, what's she going to do? You know, bite me like that vampire? He's <laughs> like, no, she'll put a curse on you. And you turn the page, it's just him all alone on two <laughs> blank pages in the corner, and he's like, I'm already cursed. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> anyway, so William thinks this is hilarious, and it kind of took the edge off of Darth Vader. And so I said, why don't we try watching Star Wars today? I think you're ready for this. And so we got down, you know, got down the bed. We turned on the TV. We turned on Star Wars, and he watched Episode Four, A New Hope, all the way through, and he was totally fine. 
And so today, you know, it was a blizzard, so everything was canceled. So it was like a snow day. Let's let's watch episode five. And I was so excited because William does not know that Darth Vader is Luke's father. I should have prefaced oh that with you should have spoiler. videotaped this, dude. Spoiler ahead. So he just he knew about Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. But as far as he knew, from what I told him, I pulled an Obi-Wan and I said, yeah, Darth Vader murdered Anakin Skywalker. Like Anakin Skywalker was killed and Darth Vader is the one who did it. He betrayed Anakin and murdered and killed Anakin. Like I just used Obi-Wan's method, right? Mm -hmm. So it gets to the point. And I'm like, okay, William, this is important because he's he's covering his eyes because this is terrifying. This fight with Luke, Luke's just got his hand cut off. I'm like, no, William, you got to pay attention. You let, you let him watch the hand cut off? I no, he has to watch it all. Yeah, I held open his eyes, clockwork orange style. <laughs> no, so he's sitting there, he's watching. I'm like, listen to what Darth Vader says because I told him Darth Vader's not gonna kill Luke. He wants to bring him to the Emperor and turn him to the dark side. He's just trying to subdue Luke right now. So listen to what he says. And it says, Obi-Wan never told you the truth about your father. And Luke says, he told me that you betrayed and murdered my father. And Darth Vader says, no, I am your father. And I look at William's face and he's like, no, it's not true. <laughs> and Luke's like, it's not true. It's impossible. No. You know, and, and William is having the same. That was a great impression, by the way. Thank you. It's been a long time. A lot of practice. So William is like, I can't, you know, he can't believe it. I'm like, did you hear what he says? He's like, Darth Vader can't be Luke's daddy. I'm like, no, he is Luke's daddy. And we had like our own little mini Empire Strikes Back moment where he's like, why didn't you tell me? You know, he's like, Ben, why didn't you tell me? And it was awesome. (laughs) And so now, dear listener, we will talk about church stuff in a second, but now the very important thing you know, must know when introducing Star Wars to your children is the next thing we watch is not going to be episode six, Return of the Jedi. We, I have a very specific order, many years in the making now, planning go. to show them to my children. It has to be episode four first, A New Hope. Episode five, then you discover that Darth Vader is Luke's father, and then you go back. Now, usually I would recommend skipping one altogether because one is a total waste. Oh, space. thank you for that recommendation. <clears throat> the Phantom of the Menace. But, however, The Phantom Menace for a five-and-a-half-year-old is spoke just right. It's just right. I don't want to take away the, the fun, uh, goofy Phantom Menace from my son. So we'll watch episode one, two, and three. And then once he sees Anakin turn to Darth Vader, then we will go to episode six and see the redemption. And then once episode six is done, we'll watch episode seven and eight. And then when episode nine comes out, you know, he'll be ready. So this is a very exciting. That's I, I'm telling you, that's the best way to watch it. If you watch it that way, the story comes alive in a way you wouldn't expect. The prequels actually become a lot more interesting when you see them as a flashback in the middle of the, the classic trilogy, as opposed to, you know, starting there. And it's sort of like, you know, what's going on. So that's that's my advice. William loved it. William's super excited. The first thing he wanted to do after the movie was done was tape two straws together and make his own lightsaber. I was like, very good. Every Jedi needs to make their own lightsaber. That's part of their training. <laughs> you know. And he's like, Dad, Jedi's aren't real. And I'm like, yes, they are, you know, in our minds. I gotta give you credit, Curtis. You know, you at least are you give Star Wars its equal geekiness because most Trekkie people don't give go. Star Wars the time of day. No, 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 no. At least you put in the effort and you know the story. Star Wars and Star Trek are two different animals. I know. Star Wars is I fantasy. Know. Star Trek is science fiction. Star Wars is a long time ago. Star Trek's in the future. Star Wars this is another galaxy. Star Trek's in our galaxy. And okay. also, right. also, one last thing, and I'm, I will go on the record with this. Star Trek is actually, the philosophy of Star Trek is actually almost diametrically opposed to Christianity, Diametrically. It, is, it is dangerous. You know, it's this sort of unleashed humanism and the cult of progress. You know, it's it's bad news. And I, I, I'm almost, it's like a real guilty pleasure. I'm like, Star Trek, for all of its goodness, is actually sort of like a twisted, it's like Christianity without Christ. So, you know, 
that it has that going for it. Now you have Star Wars, which is sort of like you know one with the Force. The I'm one with the Force. The Force is one with everything, and it's sort of like that pantheistic, you know, impersonal God. And so it has its own problems. But I feel like if you measure the two problems next to each other, Star Trek has more problems theologically and philosophically than Star Wars does. So I will go out with a limb and say that, okay, yes, I'm done. There are people out there who are interested in this, Mark. <laughs> or you, Okay, that's one church dad perspective. Or you can have all the six movies laid out like I do in the case. And he says, points to that one and says, I want to watch that one, Daddy. Put it in. Let's watch it. Fine. Let's watch it. Okay, we watched it. Okay. There. See, that took me 30 seconds to say. <clears throat> All right, but not nearly as entertaining to me as my own voice explaining Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that story, though. I wish you would have got the video of his reaction. Oh, that would have been great. Yeah, but I'm not interested in show, like sharing that kind of you know, moment with anyone else. Like that, I'm only going to get to experience that once. And mm-hmm. it was worth it. It was worth the five and a half years of prepping him for that moment where he feels the twist. He actually felt it. And I knew I had to tell him soon because in this world, it's very difficult to grow up without finding out that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. I feel like it's just like it's in the culture now. Like people mm-hmm. don't think of it as a spoiler anymore. So I had yes. to really protect it. The innocent eyes seeing it for the first time. Right. Good. Well, this is uh, a church dad show, so we do move on, and um, we move on this week, this month, I should say, with, uh, I don't know, sort of a hot-button issue within Catholic liturgy, and uh, I thought, you know, it's very appropriate for, you know, dads like us with young kids to bring up, and that is uh, going to Mass with young kids, young children, Mm. and... um, you know what's that all about um is it is it a problem is it not a problem what is it maybe uh, some thoughts well i don't know thoughts from the church but just thoughts from us because we're dads and we've seen both sides of it right because we actually we actually got an email from one of our listeners ding 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 whoa we got an email um we get thousands of emails every week (laughs) but this email caught our attention (laughs) and uh she was basically, you know, at her parish, there was an announcement made uh, regarding children at Mass. And it was basically, hey, parents, have you noticed that we have some great programs for your children during Mass so that you don't need to necessarily have, have your screaming children with you? But, you know, you could, you could do this distraction-free, and everyone would be happy, and why don't you take advantage of our child care? And they felt very unwelcome as a parent with their kid like they they were they were a problem and so they reached out and said what are your thoughts on this because they knew that we had both you know we worked at a parish we both have kids you know we've probably run across this problem before what's our perspective on it and so that's why i said hey you know what mark let's talk about this on the show because this really is an issue because as a young parent for me i feel self-conscious when i have a, a screaming monster hanging off of me during mass and then I also know, you know, that it can be distracting for, you know, other people out there when there's a screaming child or uh, a naughty child or, or even just a baby being a baby. And so it's a great it's a great discussion. It's really mm-hmm. important. So, yep. so why don't we start with um, the perspective of us as parents? So what's what's been your experience, Mark, in sort of entering into the world of bringing young children to Mass? Yeah, or just into the world. Like, um, <laughs> no, no, because when a lot of people, when you bring your child home, they'll sort of gasp. If you bring an infant out into the world before, like, what, six weeks or something, people are oh. like, what is that child doing out, you know? <laughs> And so uh, from that angle, we were always pretty nonchalant about it. Like we would, you know, go out to the store, go to the bookstore, go to the parish fair, and we'd have a two-day-old, you know, covered wow. up in our... So um, in some ways, we just we didn't let things affect us too much. But then there's other arenas. So like an airplane, for instance. 
You're in an enclosed <laughs> space. Don't remind me. Oh, I know you have horror stories. And yeah, and we would travel and, you know, you never know what they're going to do with the air and the altitude and the ears and, the, and there's people around and you, you just, you, you're thinking about them constantly. You don't want to disturb oh, yeah. these uh, patrons in the airplane because they don't want to, you know, if you sit next to somebody you don't know and you happen to have an infant with you, they immediately give you that death stare that's like, I can't and, believe I'm um, sitting next to a baby. Yeah. So in an arena like that, yeah. it can be very stressful. Um. It's not a complete comparison to mass, but similar in the sense that you may not know everyone there. You may not know who you're sitting next to. Now you do know a lot of parishioners and you got friends there. So it's a little less stressful, but I could see how a new parent would try to take their child to mass and uh, be very cognizant of, you know, uh, imposing on people, maybe. I don't know if that's a good word, but it could be stressful. You know, you're going to an event where people maybe don't want to have a child next to them being so vocal. So that's that's sort of what the first child is, at least for me, it was more anxiety in those situations. <clears throat> right. And, you know, I experienced that, too. Well, I'm just an anxious dad by nature. <laughs> and um, I'm also a very private person, generally pretty introverted. I don't like people noticing me. Like, I'll, I'll sort of try to blend in. And so a child makes that impossible in any situation. But, like, on the other side of the coin, I'm so, like, obsessed with making sure my kids are okay that, like, at least when I was a new dad, I couldn't even – it was t- – I was overwhelmed. Like I couldn't multitask. I was just so focused on this baby, like make sure the baby's okay. But yeah, you get this feeling after years of going to mass and being so quiet and like, you know, praying before and just really being super engaged and, you know, thinking that active participation was, was that's how you did it. And then suddenly I have this child who feels like such a, now I can't even, I can't listen. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what prayers are being prayed. I don't, I'm not hearing the homily. All I can think is everyone hates me for bringing this child into mass. And uh, it can be difficult. Now, in our situation, I'm sure you could relate to this. I was working at the parish at the time. And so I'm doing stuff on Sundays. And so, you know, Amy and I were like juggling this child back and forth. And we never actually went to mass as a family, which was a huge problem, you know, that uh, that really came back to bite us later. Because when I stopped working at the parish, we had two kids, and we started going to a parish as a family, and no longer could we take advantage of, like, a child care or something, which is what we had done. At, a pre- at our previous parish, there was a child care. We put our kids there, and we couldn't do that anymore. And suddenly here we are like in it felt very much like an airplane in like an enclosed space a very um a parish where the age demographic shall we say was you know in the upper the upper regions <laughs> lots of silver hair and here we are this like very loud family and it was torture man it was absolute torture it was suffering abject suffering you know, I had to drag myself to mass every week. It was it was something that I dreaded. It was like this is the worst. It was a thirty minute drive because we were living out in the middle of nowhere. Thirty minutes with screaming kids in the car. We'd get there, try to keep them at bay for an hour, and then thirty minutes all the way back with screaming kids in the car. And that was every week, and uh, it was brutal. So like the the suffering was absolutely immense. And so as a young parent, the only thing that was keeping me coming to Mass was my, like, my depth of, like, faith that this was all real and true and necessary and redemptive and, like, all my training and all that stuff. I was clinging to that, like, with every fiber of my being. If I didn't, I was, I was like, if I didn't have this, if I didn't study theology, if I didn't make this, like, my entire life's work— I don't think I'd be going to mass right now. Like I could totally understand why I'd want to just sit at home and just relax on a Sunday. Like, why would I want to put myself through this? And so the idea that there would be like a program or something like something I can drop my kid off so that I can just go to mass and relax at that time in my life, that would have been very appealing to me, almost as appealing as 
being told I could turn those stones into bread. <laughs> anyway, so that was my experience as as a young parent, and it did it did get better. Um, what about you? Now you have three kids. What's what's it like? How's it changed for you? Yeah, well, um, it, I think it, a lot of it depends on what parish you're in and uh, what is available. And yeah, I am. You know, I'm very active at Mass because I'm leading music at three Masses a weekend. So, and then, and then for when the choir sings, Renee's in our choir. So we're both, that makes us both musically active or liturgically active. So, um, you know, so we utilize our childcare and it's one of the strengths of our parish and we're happy to do that. Um, there are times we'll go to Mass as a family and, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a struggle. We do it. We know it's important. We want to do it. But, um, and then the other part of our parish that's so fantastic, it's one of our strengths, is we have an environment that encourages children to go, like, like, like more than I've ever seen. Like the pastor will stand up, you know, and say, look, I want your children here. Bring them here. I don't care if they're crying, if they're screaming, bring them here. So that's a big element to it as well, is what the pastor says is huge in the eyes of the parents. Right. You know, so, um, so we have that going as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they utilize, um, our oldest goes to the preschool class that meets during one of the morning masses and the others in the other two are in childcare. So, you know, it's, 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 we utilize it. We're certainly, you know, we take them with us when we can, but since we're so liturgically active, um, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, we've we've talked about setting aside like one weekend mass a month. Maybe it's like a Saturday vigil or something at a, at a at a different parish up the road or whatever, and just going as a family. You know, I think that that would be very good. Yeah, I think I think because they need to start being exposed to these things, and I think um, some type of consistent ritual is good, even if it's not weekly, but. You know, even a monthly thing, I think, would be good. Right. Get, get them out of their comfort zone even, take them to the cathedral downtown or whatever. Right. Well, I, I think that beyond just for them, it's good for you. You know, it's good for us as parents to do it. See, what we discovered, you know, through this horrible, traumatic experience, like, I longed for the day that I had stuff to do on Sunday. <laughs> I longed for it. I had no more excuse. So we were just a regular Catholic family going to Mass for like a year. We were just a regular Catholic family. We weren't work- I worked- wasn't working at a parish, so we were just going to Mass as a family. There, I didn't know anyone at the parish, like I, so I knew no one. We were a strange family sitting in Mass trying to figure out how to do this. William was totally out of control, our oldest, because he had never been to Mass with us. Caleb was like a still pretty young baby, like maybe like seven or eight months old. And so, and he'd always kind of been with us, just kind of strapped on to Amy. And so he was a little bit easier because he was starting to get used to the routine. But William, it was like, he didn't want any part of it. He wanted to go back to where the toys were, but we were forced and we had to figure out real quick, you know, how do we do this? You know, do we discipline him if he isn't quiet um, we didn't want to associate like punishment with prayer, you know, and mass. So instead, we we had some rules, and we would offer rewards if we follow the rules. And if he didn't, then he didn't get the reward, um, which you know that ended up working out pretty well. But what what happened over time, you know, week in, week out, week in, week out, bringing them to mass, they did begin to. It took a long time. It took over a year and a half. But they be, they did begin to just kind of um, expect it. The big turning point for us was when this was huge step for me as an introvert was when we moved our family to the front row um, at mass. The front row, just so that there was nobody in front of the kids, they could just sort of see what was going on. Um, they didn't need to understand what was going on, but just the fact that they felt like they were a part of it and they weren't like hiding behind a bunch of adults and poking things and crawling under things. Just being there, they just immediately kind of sat up and started to pay attention. They started to sing songs. They started to participate in the prayers. But the big thing, the reason I'm saying that, you know, and if you're listening, if you 
haven't gone to mass as a family or done these things beyond for the kids, for you as a parent, this is a big thing that we talked about in the first episode of our show, which is we've been called. We have a vocation as parents, you know, and according to our vocation, our married vocation and our vocation as parents, this is the life that God has chosen for us in which he wants to conform us into the image of his son. That's called sanctification or being made holy. We are being made into saints through the, our life, through our vocation, through our calling. You know, this is the way. For a priest, he's being sanctified through, you know, doing his priestly ministry. For parents, we are being sanctified through that relationship with our own kids. And so where I want to go into a room, remember, and like shut the door and like pray for three hours or go on like a three-week retreat, private silent retreat. Like, <laughs> and I feel like my kids are constantly interrupting my prayer life. I'm like, if only I could have a few minutes of myself, then I could truly be holy and I could, you know, get closer to Jesus. Jesus is saying, no, wait, I am down on the floor with your kids. Your process of sanctification takes place in the mess of family life where you die to yourself over and over, where you pick up that cross and follow me, you can't escape it. And even more so, I think, in the Mass, which for me still is an element of suffering, where I feel like I'm pouring myself out, I'm emptying myself. And it's like Jesus is saying, that's where I am. I am right there. I'm those children next to you. Like, this is the path of sanctification. And so, you know, when you, when you experience that, regularly and you embrace it as this is this is christ working in me this is me being transformed um then it becomes something that you actually do look forward to even though it's kind of painful you do look forward to it yeah so yeah i have a funny story it's funny for me it's probably not funny for you but (laughs) we we were working together and the parish wasn't shut down but something was going on where we went to Mass up the street. It must have been like the fall festival. Oh, right. Yep. It was the Oktoberfest. Yeah. Okay. So we would, you know, go up the road. And so, you know, we all went together. And at the time, I think we each had two apiece. So, you know, Renee and Amy had little babies in their arms. And it was probably you and I that were designated (laughs) to the older ones. Oh, yeah. And so, and our two oldest were, were like, you know, best buddies best buddies okay and they know each other very well and complete so, opposites <laughs> i know well that's what makes this funny so they're like sitting near each other and i forget what william was doing and jules is just kind of sitting there quietly he like leans over to me he goes daddy william's gonna get in trouble isn't he <laughs> and you like gave this like death stare it was great uh, yeah julian's just <clears throat> sitting there perfect as can be Party, um, parting his hair. You know how insecure we, we feel as young parents? How, how we feel like we're disturbing everyone? And people will turn to us and be like, oh, thank you for bringing your kids to Mass. Oh, your kids are so beautiful. Like They know it. They're telling us. They're encouraging us. Bless those people who do that. And if you have young families near you, please do that. Encourage them. Tell them they're welcome. So we're, But we're constantly afraid that we're not welcome. So even when people are welcoming, we're like, maybe, but they're maybe just saying that. So to hear somebody say, parents, have you thought of taking your children out there when they're, you know, or taking advantage of these programs? It like wounds us to our core. So I was always like, please don't make any announcements about that. Um, Although like I totally, I can kind of understand, but going back to the, the cross thing, the sanctification thing, it's almost like in that turning stone into bread. It's almost like you're saying to the parents, oh, I know that you're following Christ and picking up your cross and being sanctified, but why don't you just take a break from that for an hour and just relax. Put your cross down or go bleed somewhere we can't see you. Maybe like in that cry room over there, go bleed there so that we can focus on the mass and sort of enjoy ourselves and focus on, you know, whatever we want to focus on. You're kind of out of our out of our mind's eye. Um, I find that to be uh, heinous. <laughs> I, I can't think of a stronger word. It's like, you know, they, they, see, they see the symptoms of a problem and they think that to fix the problem, they need to get rid of the kids. 
And that I think that is horrifying because I think to fix the problem, the adults need fixing, not the kids. And I don't mean parents need to learn how to parent. I think that like the whole idea of what the liturgy is and what we are doing and what it's supposed to what's supposed to look like and what the focus is, I think we've lost it. And because of that, we think kids are a problem. And that's how to fix it. Okay, that's well, don't give us it. the whole punchline That's not line how yet. to fix it. Don't give us the whole punchline yet. This is good stuff. Yeah, I think we can uh, stretch this over a little bit and talk a little bit more about this. And look at the liturgy and uh, look at um, what it's about. And this what you brought up, sort of the rethinking, the rethinking, especially on the part of the adults. And uh, no, this is good conversation, which we will continue. So stick with us. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Like what you hear? Have a question concerning family, fatherhood, or faith? Email the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Be a part of the discussion as we seek to strengthen our Christian witness in the home. This is The Church Dads. Okay, welcome back to The Church Dads. You've got two dads with you, and I think that's the reason we're here, right, Curtis? It's just easier to be here. It's just easier to be here. It's nice, yeah. We can we can <laughs> connect with each other, see how we're doing, and we just record it for the world. <clears throat> yeah, just kidding for the, here. The just world. Kidding. Didn't mean that. <clears throat> anyway, so we've been talking about children... With at mass within, and you know, children at mass in the liturgy. But you know, I think it's good that we take a step back because we touched on the fact that you know maybe we need to rethink what it is we're doing here, and, um, and not even what we're doing, but you know how we uh, perceive what we're doing. And so I think it's important that we we look at the liturgy and what's happening, what we're seeing, what we're hearing, what we're smelling, um, what it is. And maybe that could shed some light for us as to, you know, bringing kids into Mass. And is it such a big deal? Right. Because we see the symptoms of this problem. We have kids who are bored to death in Mass and adults who are bored. Like, it's boring. It's, it's excruciating. And so, of course, the kids are distracted. And so we see the symptom and we think, I know what the problem is. The kids, we need to get them out. And my argument is that is not the solution to this problem. It's not the kids. It's our concept of what liturgy is and how we are, and how we are entering into it. We're if we're not doing it right, and uh, we need to rethink. We need to get ourselves back into the mindset of what liturgy is about, and the fact that it's not something that we are inventing. It's not something that is like a product of innovation. But it's actually something that God is inviting us to, and it is not boring. It is the most important thing that we do every week. But we've lost the sense of that. So um, you, Mark, you actually work as a director of music and liturgy. So what would your take be on all this? What What is liturgy for you? What is liturgy for you? And 250 characters or less. <clears throat> <laughs> Well, I'll just speak to music briefly, briefly, and I, I think of it much simpler than a lot of people maybe have tried to sum it up into words, because to me it's much more simple than a lot of people make it out to be. To me, liturgical music should not detract from people's action of prayer. It should not be a distraction for people to pray. Okay, so, you know, the Catholic Mass is very unique experience in the sense that, and you can count next time you go, how many times we're asked to pray. It's it's almost the entire time. Now, if you go to a different, um, you know, tradition or, or um, denomination or something, let's say you go to a mega church or something, you, you're going to sit down in a very comfy theater chair, you're going to have a cup holder for your coffee, you're going to have your book with you, and you're going to be in the, the this this posture of learning where you're going to hear Scripture, and you're going to hear someone reflect upon it, and that's fine. Um, that's not Catholic Mass. You, the, it's, think about it. It's completely different. What's right in the middle of the room? There's an altar, um, which represents Christ. There's an ambo. There's a crucifix. There's kneelers. What are you talking about? We're kneeling? And then what happens? The priest says, you know, let's ask forgiveness for our sins. 
Let's listen to these readings. Let's prayerfully respond to them. Let's parade the Book of the Gospels around, almost parading Christ around with his own like entrance music into the room. Um, let's let's pray for each other, the universal prayer. Let's pray for the world. Let's pray for the dead. Let's add our own intentions and let's pray. We're praying constantly. I think if if not just musically, but I think anything we do that redirects our attention away from prayer can be problematic. Now that doesn't mean we need music that's just like un- not singable and let's just sit here and listen and pray. And that's not what I mean. But it, it you know. So whatever that means in your parish, every parish is different, but whatever music is detracting people and not attracting people to prayer, I think can be problematic. And that's not just with music, but, you know, liturgy, your liturgical decisions. That okay. was that was more than 250 characters. I'm sorry. Sure. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, but you could, you could see, you could use what you're saying as a defense for getting those kids out of Mass. Because they are distracting people from their prayer, mm-hmm. you see, and like, and I've heard that I've heard that argument. So I want to push back. I'm going to push back and just I just want to make sure, Mark, that we're friends at the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you could use that argument for anything. You could say, "Well, there's a guitar player up there, and it's distracting me." Yeah. Okay. His goatee, his goatee is distracting me from prayer. <laughs> so, so my thing is, I would approach the guitar player and say, "How can you approach your instrument in a prayerful way? How can you, um, you know, be uh, contribute musically, but not um, distract people? You know, and that it's different for every person, and not every parish has a guitar, you know, and so that's why I say it's it's different for every parish." <clears throat> Well, let me let me ask you this: Is it possible for a four-month-old to participate in the liturgy? Ah. I, I the reason I ask is because if it really is about us, primarily about us sort of entering into this prayer, this prayer exchange, and trying to remove any kind of obstacles to that prayer, then we're basically ruling out anybody who doesn't have, like, uh, their full use of their intellect, their reason, their ability to understand what's going on. And uh, <clears throat> I think that's a slippery slope. Yeah, no, I the, do. No, we're not at Mass just to pray. I'm saying that the, 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 the environment that we go into is very much centered in prayer. Okay, okay. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, we're, we're there for... Other things, I'm just saying the experience, the mass experience from an outsider. If you were not a Catholic, you walked in and be like, man, they pray a lot here. Sure. There's a lot of prayer. And I would say, you know, this is really important. And we mentioned this when we talked about the mass. I forget how many episodes ago. But we don't come together to do something at mass. Like, we're not coming together of our own accord to offer something to God. This is not a church service. And which is what, like, our Protestant brothers and sisters, that's what they do on Sunday. They come together for a church service where they sing songs of praise to God, they put money in the offering, they pray their prayers, they hear a sermon, they get encouraged, and then they go out into the world, into the mission field. And then they have, like, some of, some of that, you know, we do have in the Mass because it is traced back to the Mass. But, in fact, at the heart, the liturgy is about what Jesus is doing, what God is doing in the world through his Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is the prayer of Christ that we enter into. You know, it's Christ's prayer to the Father that we are now joined together with by the Holy Spirit, through him, in him, and with him, by the unity of the Holy Spirit. You know, like we are entering into his sacrifice, his eternal sacrifice. The altar there in the center, you know, this is where that moment of sacrifice intersects with history, you know, that eternal sacrifice that now we are entering into, we are participating in, just, you know, by virtue of our baptisms, we are now joined to Christ. Um, and we pray for the world, and we pledge ourselves to him. But we're we're basically participating in something that he is doing. Liturgy is what God is doing. Um, so it's it's a mass, mass meaning to be sent, sent forth. God's doing that, not us. God's the one offering the sacrifice. 
you know, is offering himself, and we get to join in with it. Okay. So the reason I, I point that out, like that liturgy is something that calls to us and should draw us up and in to it, to participate in it. Um, and so I'm with you on the whole music, for example. Music is a big thing. Worship wars, you know, <laughs> what music do you like in mass? You know, music is uh, actually kind of a subservient factor in the mass. You don't need music in the mass, but music heightens things. Music should always be supportive of an action in the liturgy. It sort of brings things to a different level. It helps to transcend it from the world. It lifts you out of yourself. You know, we all join together in unity to, you know, proclaim something in song. It's sort of elevated speech. And so music is super important. But what I have discovered in sort of all the liturgies I've been in, especially in America, is there's this cult of the casual, like this idea that, you know, we just need to, you know, shed all of the ritualistic, all the solemnity. It's not a solemn occasion. Let's just get together as one big happy family around the family table, tell a bunch of stories, you know, let's pull out our banjos and like, you know, just relax. And, you know, this is, this is beautiful, but you know, let's, this is joyous. Let's just be, just, just be happy. And what we've lost is this sense of transcendence where you walk into a parish and you experience their liturgy and you are immediately pulled out of yourself. Because right now we have this idea that everything needs to be familiar. You know, so we need music to sound like what you hear on the radio. There's this idea that we need to reach. Here's my, one of my most least favorite things in the world of, of church stuff. We need to reach the, quote, unchurched. We need to be seeker friendly as though we need to bring everything down to like the most bottom level in order to reach the world as opposed to you know uh, a liturgical experience for lack of a better term right now that when you walk in and you don't know anything you're like this is otherworldly like this is pulling me out of myself this is transcendent that's why for example <clears throat> like chant and organ and sort of sim- like simple um, music that highlights like the speech and just and and incense and all of these things and the vestments all of these things which are not like anything we experience in our regular life it serves to draw us out of ourselves um, and that's missing. Yeah, I that's think it missing. was. I think it's G.K. Chesterton who said um, you know something to the effect of. You know, I don't want a world that can change my church. I want a church that can change my world. And so Mm. it's the church doing what's not been broken that can change the world is sort of what you were alluding to. Yeah, I mean, one of the first things I do at a music workshop for, for my own musicians is I'll tell them, look, we don't need music to have a completely valid and successful mass. We don't need to have it you know it's certainly good to have and we want it to be well done but it you know it's like the homily we don't have to have a fantastic amazing blow your mind homily to have a perfectly good mass and we talked about some previous episodes those are sand things you know because what happens when you've got fantastic music whatever that means and then the music director (laughs) gets old and dies and then there's some new music director and they're horrible they're ter- what are you right. going to do? You're going to go to an, another church up the street? So these are sand things, or the great homily. you got a great homeless, and then he switches parishes, and you get a new homeless, and he's terrible. Then what do right. you do? So you're right. Like There's this hierarchy totem pole of what's important in the liturgy. And, um, you know, but so many- if, Oh, sorry. But if we're looking at the symptom mm-hmm. of the problem, the symptoms of, okay, we have bored people, we have distracted kids or whatever. You know, instead of getting rid of the kids, let's look at the liturgy. I mean, do we have beauty, like true beauty, transcendental beauty that is pulling us out of ourselves? Are we engaging all of the senses? So um, there was a there was a, a blog post that was put on the Internet at the end of January about this idea of kids, little kids in the mass. And um, it was written by a, a very well-known 
respected Catholic author and priest, Father Michael White. And he was talking about how at their parish, the Church of the Nativity, you know, they have all of these programs for, for kids that parents should take advantage of so that they can come to a relationship with Jesus and an understanding of who he is on their level and let parents be undistracted in Mass. And it was actually, reading as a young parent, a rather offensive blog post. Like, I was getting hot under the collar reading it. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Woo! You know, you never like hearing, like I said, you're always, you're a little in- insecure. Well, then there was a response made by uh, Timothy, um, oh my goodness, Timothy O'Malley. O'Malley. <clears throat> Timothy O'Malley. And uh, he wrote this article, um, and it his blog post is entitled, um, oh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have the title in front of me. Anyway, he wrote a response, and I want to just read a little quote from his response, which blew my mind. And really ministered to me as both a a person who works at a parish and as a dad. So as a church dad. And this is what he said. He said, "Um, Father White's blog post is but endemic of Catholic worship in the United States at this stage. So this idea of asking kids to leave, like we said, is is trying to fix a, a problem instead of, you know, actually addressing the, the underlying issue. We're just trying to fix the symptoms or whatever. He says, quote, um, O'Malley says, liturgies are cacophonies of verbal proclamations, of sermons, of explaining rites and the meaning of feasts. There is so little to behold in churches that have been built as suburban shopping malls. Music is chosen not because it provides something to perceive the beauty of ordered sound used to worship God, but instead to get across a message in hymn texts that are often more ideological than aesthetic or theological. There is often so little gravitas to the activity of worship, a sense that we have to adjust ourselves to adore God, since what we long for is just a pleasing and meaningful act of worship. Perhaps, he says, What we need to do is not exclude children from the act of worship. Instead, we must understand liturgical worship as if the primary participants in the act of worship will be infants. Instead of relying on endless speech, on communication media involving video screens, we must create spaces where all the senses are being involved in worship. This idea that we need to think of worship and liturgy as as being directed primarily towards infants, not adults. Love it. I love this. Then he says, so rather than create a special liturgy for children appropriate to their understanding, let us have music that is worth listening to and singing along with. Let us build altar pieces and rardos that actually give both infants and adults something to behold in worship. Let us attend to the way that light sanctifies space, how color delights the eye, And perhaps some of the children are bored at Mass, not because they are incapable of understanding what is going on, but because there is too much speech and not enough silence, not enough embodied action, not enough to behold. In the end, the church's liturgy was made for infants. It is us, the adults in our boredom and apathy, who have to change rather than the children. Boom! What a great article. We have to change. You know, maybe we should talk less and experience silence more. You know, maybe we should get the incense out. You know, maybe we should give our kids something to look at, something beautiful. Maybe we should do music that is actually singable, Mark, instead of some of the tripe that is in, like, you know, OCP or whatever that you just can't sing to. You're like, I don't know what folk artist came up with this, and somebody just transcribed it while they were singing their improvised melodies, but it's it's abhorrent to the human mind. It's not beautiful. Okay, that, sorry. That article is called the Liter- <laughs> the liturgy is for little kids, and yes. little, little is the in the parenthetical. And yeah. Uh, yeah, Timothy O'Malley is at Notre Dame, and I think he's nailed. Yeah, he's nailed it. Oh, I love um, it. It's so good. And to me, he's a, he's a church dad. We need to get him on this show. Yeah, you know, a lot of liturgical questions that I ever have with myself. Um, it's pretty simple. Like, do we believe he is present there or do we not? Do we huh. believe he's present there or do we not? I think you can ask that question for every 
liturgical problem and answer it yourself. And I was thinking about this topic today because I knew we'd be talking about it. And I'm like, if Jesus is really <laughs> there, if he's right. really there on the altar, you know, it's like the old mantra, right? What would he do? What would he say? <laughs> well, what mm. did what did he say? Okay. Because in Matthew chapter 19, he says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Mm. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. It belongs to them. You know, you can read further in the early church. And the apostles are hidden um, in the upper room. They're scared to death. And so with the Holy Spirit, they're now, they're, they've got this charism to go out and start preaching. And so Peter goes out, and what's one of the first things he does? He baptizes a lot of people, like at the same time, hundreds of people. And, uh, you know, he says, you know, baptize Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Few breaths later, what does he say? This promise is for you and your children. Mm-hmm. You know, with children there, with children there present. So, this is just one of many things that often comes up in various articles and things. Children at mass. If he's really present there, yes. What is he speaking to us? What would he say to those families, to those children, or to the people struggling with those families or those children? Absolutely. You know? And the yes. children, the children at mass, being so vocal and sometimes distracting, and they can be. That's just a very noticeable distraction. But I think everyone brings with them to mass a distraction that they're they're ashamed of. You and I are more visibly ashamed of this one thing because these kids are so audible and we can hear them and they're running around and it's crazy. Everybody has this um, something they're ashamed of they're bringing the mass that is distracting it's just we don't know what they are usually we know what they are with young parents because everyone can see it and everyone can hear it in the room but you know what did we we heard in the gospel reading today can you not notice the log in your eye right you know and that's just it i mean yeah there's distractions whose fault is that (laughs) yeah it's i mean if if you really i mean it's a good thing to ask ourselves if Jesus again was present in the in the flesh like we in his body his human body he was coming to mass and he was going to be there would we put our kids in a childcare room so that we could really focus on his presence no we would want our children there to encounter the lord of the universe and they don't need to understand a word that Jesus is saying. Just being in the same room as Jesus, being touched by Jesus, being the, the gaze of Christ alone has the power, you know, if, to to remake the universe. If so Jesus, I mean, if he we bring in, our children. If he was in the room, if he's actually there, are you going uh, after you sing the Sanctus, Holy, 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 are, and he's there? Are you going to? Are you going to stand? Are you going to? Are you going to sit? Are you going to get on your knees? Hey, your kids are watching. Now, this is this is the point I wanted to make before. It's like how do how do like a four and a four and a half month old participate, right? Mm-hmm. You know, well, number one, you know, we're they're participating by virtue of their baptism because they're joined with Christ and what He's doing. So they're participating in that in that sense. But they're also they're watching us. You know, the way we engage in worship, the reverence, the solemnity. You know, my children look at me and they know that there is something that their daddy bows down to. Like, and they look at it and they're like, it just looks like a piece of bread. But then they look at me and they're like, but he's bowing down to it. You know, I'm teaching them something through my very actions. And they kneel down right next to me because right now they want to imitate. And eventually they're going to want to participate. They're going to want to know more. But even if they never learned anymore, even if they had some developmental disability where they were never able to truly understand, they would know that still that there was something important that was taking place. And by virtue of their baptism, you know, and the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within them, groaning and, and praying on their behalf and, you know, in ways too inexpressible for words or whatever, I mean, they are part of it. So, yeah, like... 
that's another reason why it's so important for us to go to Mass with our families is because we're modeling it for them. And if you don't believe it, and if you don't treat it with the reverence and solemnity you deserve, if you don't allow it to change you, the liturgy to change you, then your parent, then your, your kids are, are going to be bored. They're going to be able to, they're going to make the decision like, well, this isn't real. This is just something that we have to do every week. But if you teach your kids, like, we're going to go to Mass because it's the most important thing we'll ever do is get to be a part of what Jesus is doing to save the universe, to save the whole cosmos, redeem everything, and we get to join in with it, you know, eventually they'll see it. Now, there's a great analogy I heard once um, talking about that moment where Jesus sees the widow who drops the two, the two mites, like the <clears throat> widow's mite, the two cents into the treasury. And then that the scribe or whoever comes and drops a whole bunch of money in and he says to the disciples, which one gave more? And it was the widow because she gave all that she had. You know, she gave out of everything and she just gave everything. I And then this reflection was that parents with small children are that widow. When they come to Mass, they might not be able to focus on everything that's going on. They might not be able to really pray with all of their strength, without any distraction. But they give everything they have. Sometimes it's just everything they have just to get in the door. But they're giving everything to be there. And just to to be there with the kids crawling all over them, and they're picking up their cross, and they're there, and they're being sanctified, they're being made like Christ, and they're giving everything. And to the parent, it feels like nothing. I feel like I'm not being able to give anything to Christ when I come to Mass. I can't even, like, sometimes it's... It takes everything in me just not to lose my temper, you know, with the kids. But it was so encouraging to hear that, you know, even that, even that is like, you know, dumping a huge truckload of gold into the temple treasury because God looks at your heart and he sees what you're doing and you're giving everything that you have in that moment. And it feels like it's not enough, but it is because you're picking up your cross, you're following Christ and you're being transformed in the process. So go for it, parents. Sit in the front row. Suffer. Suffer proudly. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, and I love that analogy. Yes, Jesus is in the room. So Really is, yeah. And you utilize the child care. That's fine. I think I think our directives are of those parents that want to give everything, dive in, and be the example. Bring your kids into Mass. Bring your kids into Mass. Yeah. And this is the future of our church. You know, the silver-haired generation that could get stingy <laughs> with these kids. This is our future. Yeah, I mean, church isn't crying, is dying. Have you heard that? <laughs> <Church>. <laughs> and, you know, we need these kids. And, you know, I say we need these kids like I care so much about numbers. And numbers are good. It's not the be-all, end-all. And I think it was... Um, uh, Bishop ben- uh, Pope Benedict XVI that was predicting our church would get smaller. It might get holier, but get smaller. And, well, sure. But uh, yes, this is the future of our church. Lift up your hearts to the Lord. <clears throat> okay, oh, just man, we haven't even talked about the songs. <laughs> uh, another episode, I think, yes. Will you kiss the leper clean? <laughs> uh, good. Well, this is yeah. Church Tats. I hope it has been helpful for you let us know about it either way ah you guys are crazy or wow that was encouraging thank you i can't wait to try some of these things whatever it is email us if you like we're at we just want emails just send us emails just one churchdadspodcast at gmail.com and uh you know you got a whole uh thing of ammunition now to take your kids with you to liturgy or you know how you approach the star wars series whatever (laughs) you pull from this episode is good Oh, we're going to have to do a follow-up about some practical things, too, for parents. Like, you know, this is Church Dads. We'll talk about this in the future, too. Like, practical strategies to survive a liturgy with your kids. So stay tuned. We will get to that. And what makes the best episodes is like this one when someone said, hey, you guys should talk about this because it's pertinent to what I'm dealing with right now. So, yeah, let us know, and we'll do a show just for you. (laughs) Very good. All right. From all of us here at Church Dads, which is Curtis and I. (laughs) Have a lovely month. Go home and love your family. Church Dads is a regular show 
hosted by Mark Hawes and Curtis Ketty. Join the discussion by emailing the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com and follow them on Facebook, facebook.com slash churchdadspodcast. Want to change the world? Go home and love your family.